Bust and Loose Baseball, hosted by Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer, gives you in-depth analytics and interviews on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Now, here's your host, Grant Paulson and Toby Altizer. That's going to do it for the trade talk. Let's get into some prospect talk. Keith Law joined Grant and Danny the other day to talk about the Nationals draft pick Dylan Cruz, also some of their top prospects. Here's Keith Law with Grant and Danny. Keith Law knows as much about prospects, the draft, and player development as anybody in the industry covering the game at those levels. And, Keith, first of all, thanks for a few minutes. Sorry I missed you out in Seattle, but it's been great to chat with you about the draft leading up to it. How about the Nationals getting Dylan Cruz at number two overall out of LSU? What can you tell Nats fans about the pick that they made? I saw you, by the way, at the Futures game. You were very, very busy. You were, you were <laughs> running around the field trying to interview someone, and I was not going to stop you. Um, yeah, Dylan Cruz was number one on my board. Um, center fielder at LSU, been a star there really since the moment he got to Baton Rouge. He has an incredible track record of performance, which is the number one reason I had him first on my board, was that you, you have to have a very high degree of certainty that he is going to hit in pro ball, given that he hit so well in the SEC, the best conference in college baseball for three years, and was a guy coming out of high school. I know you remember this. He was getting first-round buzz as a high school senior before the world ended in 2020. That was LSU's gain, and obviously going to college was very much the right decision for Cruz. I think you're getting a high-average and probably high-on-base guy who has a pretty good chance to stay in center. I don't think it's a guarantee. And obviously, if you have someone like James Wood there, he's going to slide Cruz into a corner. The biggest question I have on Cruz is, is this a superstar level bat? Is it going to be 25 home runs on top of everything else? Or is it more very steady, above average, high probability gets there quick, which is also really good, right? It is a question of just how good, how much good are you actually getting? But I think we all agree, everyone who who does this, scouts I've talked to, we all agree the Nats got a really good player. Yeah, Keith, to kind of your point here, he didn't run a ton at LSU, and they didn't have to. You're in scoring position on first base there uh, with the yeah. way those guys blasted <laughs> the ball out of the yard. But sure. I think he could steal some bags at, at, at kind of the upper levels as he gets used to it. I'm not talking about like a, a 50 steal guy, but I think that can be part of his game as well. He can move. I would characterize him as, you know, if he steals 20 bases, um, I'd say that's reasonable. He's the type of guy who might steal 20 bases in 22 attempts. He's an above-average runner, but he's very instinctive. He's a little better runner underway than he is, say, right out of the box. But he's got a very good idea of what he's doing. So it wouldn't surprise me if he was the guy at the end of the year. Maybe he doesn't steal a ton of bases, but at the end of the year, you look and realize he took a lot of extra bases. He's the guy who scores from first a lot of the time on doubles because he has some speed. He picks up speed really as he's going. And because he, he just has such a good understanding, he's the type of player who'll see that ball go out to the gap and say, I can score on that. Keith, I looked up some numbers against Velocity before the draft. He had over 50 plate appearances end with a pitch at 95-plus this year. Over 50. Brock mm-hmm. Wilkin had five of those, and I think yeah. Chase Davis <laughs> in the Pac-12 had six of those. Like, what kind of level of competition are we talking about in the SEC, and how does that figure into a timeline for him? Seems like he could move quickly if they choose to do that. 
it's funny because he had the hardest thrower in college baseball on his own team. He never had to face Paul Skeens, right? And still had these 50 plate appearances against good velocity. I actually think your point is very, very valid that it is an indicator that he should move quickly to double A. I, somebody asked me in a Q&A I did on The Athletic yesterday, where do I think Cruz goes first? Would not surprise me at all if once he signs, um, which we were less than two weeks from the signing deadline, he goes to Fredericksburg for two weeks or so and then comes here to Wilmington for two weeks or so. Give him a homestand with each of the affiliates, obviously makes them happy, gives them something they can sell, try to get folks to the ballpark. And then the whole idea is have him start next year in double A. That is certainly where I would want to start him from a developmental standpoint, even though selfishly, I would love for him to spend three months in Wilmington next year so I can just go watch him all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Keith, all the athletic with us here on G&D. What you make of the Nationals draft in general, Keith? Obviously, your headline is going to be Dylan Cruz at two. Number one for a lot of people. You don't complain about that. That's You put that in your back pocket. The rest of the way, though, what were your thoughts? It's really a three-person draft, and I'm not saying that as a criticism. This is a strategy. And I think the Nationals could walk out and say, we got three of the three, three first-round caliber guys. Um, in the third round, so they had the first pick of day two, so they essentially had all of uh, Sunday night, a little bit of Monday morning, to try to figure out what to do with their remaining picks and their remaining pool. They went with Travis Sakura, who was one of the top high school pitching prospects in the entire draft class. Uh, I know personally some scouts who thought he was the top high school pitching prospect in the class. He's been up to 100. He's got a really good pitch, really vi- uh, viable out pitch in his splitter. He's built right. He is, I think, 6'6 six, six or so and are kind of already built like a workhorse starter. He's risky because he's a high school pitcher and they are just risky as a class. But taking that guy in the third round rather than the first round, I will do that all day long. And in between, they took Johanny Morales, who I thought was great value. A lot of people were talking about him as a top 30, top 20 pick for much of the spring. It's a great swing. He's got a pretty good body. He has not really translated that into, say, athleticism. You're not seeing great defense, but you've got a lot to work with. And I think anytime you can get a guy in the second round who was getting first-round buzz for much of the spring, it indicates to you that there's something there. People saw value there. And it's something for player development. It's a, play, it's a project for player development, but that there are a lot of tools to work with. Keith Law of The Athletic joining us on Grant and Danny. Uh, James Wood, you've seen him a bunch this year. He was at Wilmington. He's now mm-hmm. in double-A at Harrisburg where he's shown a ton of power. It's been challenged more, as you'd expect, and the average has come down some. How close is he? I don't think he's close offensively. I think defensively you could put him in the majors tomorrow and he'd be fine. I mean, he is the best center fielder in the system. Uh, and, you know, as I was saying, Dylan Cruz, if, if Wood and Cruz get to the big leagues at the same time, Wood's going to be the center fielder and Cruz is going to end up being very good in a corner. Uh, Wood is six seven, and guys that tall do often have a lot of trouble making contact. They have trouble managing the strike zone. And Wood, I think, already had that anyway he even showed some of that in high school which is why he was the second rounder not a first rounder with all of his athletic gifts he still slipped because people saw him strike out a lot in high school and even when he was here i saw a good bit of that you can get him with fastballs up and it's going to be i'm sure he's aware of that i know the nats are aware of that but when you're that tall it is harder to close those holes in the strike zone and i think that's going to slow his progress i was fine with him going to double a he needs to stay there for a while keith big picture where is this mm-hmm. national system now? I mean, we, you know, now we know a couple of these names up the top. We're all salivating over Wood for everything that you, you know, the, the reason that you stated the upside there. Now we know Cruz. But this system, not too long ago, was just bereft 
of any mm-hmm. upside, any talent, any reinforcements, and it kind of showed at the major league level. Where are they now, big picture? They've improved. I still think it's below the median in the majors because there's really not much depth there at all. But now you've got at least a half dozen guys you could be excited about on some level. Um, you know, we haven't even talked about Brady House, who just got here to Wilmington a couple of weeks ago. I'm a big believer in it is huge exit velocities. I was kind of expecting him to be swinging out of his shorts a little bit more, and that's not the case. And so far, he's you know, the contact is going to remain an issue for him, but he's kept it at least under enough control and show me enough of a sense of the strike zone that I'm optimistic that he'll be able to carry that going forward. Uh, and there are some other guys, Dylan Lyles off to a really good start. I think Harlan Suzanne is probably a reliever, but it's a heck of an arm and the kind of guy you love to have in your system, whatever the prognosis is. Um, and, you know, you'll get Cade Cavalli back. He still counts as part of this farm system too. So I think there are plenty of reasons to be optimistic but I have to be kind of a realist too. They, they just, you can't go more than six or seven deep in this system before you're looking at kind of some extra guys. And that is going to take a couple of years to really restock the, the system as a whole. I find House really exciting. I, you know, you were in mm-hmm. the Futures game. You saw his BP and the power display he put on, which is pretty yep. special. But you even, maybe more more importantly, I mean, what he's done at Wilmington, which is a terrible place to go hit, has yeah. really been eye-opening. I'd seen him a ton at Fredericksburg. But I think I he's a guy in that system I'd say that I like more today than I've liked at any point. Like, the arrow is up, and that, that's saying something. I mean, this is a first-round pick just outside of the top ten a couple years ago. Yeah, but he missed almost all of last year. He was good when he played, but it was only, did he even play two months worth of games? I don't think he did. Not and fully did, healthy, yeah. No, he was right, and they did, you know, they want to rush him back, and that was great. It looks like they did all the right things, but, you know, then he returns to Fredericksburg, and he destroys it. But you think, well, he was here last year, too, so that's not that big of a shock, and he's a little older now. But now he comes to Wilmington, you're starting to see, oh, that power is, I mean, this is everywhere power. Like you said, Wilmington that park's practically in the river. It is really hard to get the ball out. You don't see hitters make the park look small very often, and the Blue Rocks have had two of those this year because Wood would do that, and House does it even more. One guy I want to ask you about as well is Robert Hassel. I, listen, mm-hmm. these are prospects. He's 21 years old, I think, so the book obviously isn't written, but I kind of thought we'd have a little bit more by now just in terms of some of the power translating, you know, doubles and the speed. It looks like he's starting to pick it up here a little bit uh, at Double A. but what have you seen and what do you think? I haven't seen him this year. I saw him quite a bit last year, but I do kind of share your disappointment. This is not in any way the player I thought that they were getting. Um, You know, I know he's been, I believe he's been nicked up a little bit this year, but I'm actually probably most surprised and disappointed at the low contact rate because that's just not who he is. We all had a pretty good idea of what he was out of the draft, and he showed it in the last two years in the minors. Great hitter for average, great command of the strike zone, make a lot of contact. The question was, would there be power? Or was this just a high-average doubles guy who, you know, he's in the Dylan Cruz class of center fielders, right? He could play there, but he might get bumped if you have a James Wood somewhere in the system. And we're really just not seeing the contact at all this year, and I don't know if there's something physical underlying it. I have a hard time thinking we all as an industry just missed on this guy because he was a top 10 pick. He was very highly regarded by opposing scouts. People questioned the upside, but nobody questioned the floor. Nobody said this guy is going to have trouble hitting. And that's what we're seeing this year. He's just not hitting. And that, that absolutely confuses me. And I don't have an explanation for it. Keith Law of The Athletic. Last guy in the system to ask you about. How worried should we be about Elijah Green? <laughs> Sorry, bad connection. I couldn't hear you there. <laughs> what was that name? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's, exactly. it's pretty bad. It's really, yeah, it's pretty bad. And I did see him once earlier this year, um, but I've talked to other folks who've seen him. Like he, He's pretty overmatched. I bet, is it, but is, is, there, is there a track record of guys that get off to a start this bad, strike out this much at A-ball and turn it around, or is that seen as like, oh, oh my goodness, this is not good? I don't know of one. I don't know of such a guy. The guy I always went back to was Glenn Allen Hill did that with the Blue Jays, but that was in rookie ball. He was 17 or 18, and even he, you know, he got to the big leagues, but he never, he was more tools than production. Um, I will say this in Elijah's defense, that's a kid who needs short season ball, and it's gone, right? Mark, Rob Manfred and a couple owners decided not to have that intermediate level between the complex and low A. That's where he needs to be right now, and there's no place to demote him. If they demote him, it's to the Gulf Coast League. Well, he was there last year. So is that really helping his development? So the Nats are kind of in a bind, and so is he, and it's a little unfortunate because he's certainly gifted. I don't want to give up on a player who's that talented, but I also don't know of a historical comp of somebody who, who was this bad, who had this much trouble making contact his first year out and turned into a good big leaguer. Wow. Keith Law with us on G&D. The Soto deal, now a year almost removed. You've been talking about the system. It's improved. It's still maybe for you below the median. I think the Nats would do that trade again in a heartbeat. Right, mm-hmm. the, what they got back, Abrams and Gore and Wood and uh, Susana, who you referenced, and Hassel, even though he's d- struggling. Uh, uh, with all due respect to uh, the sixth member of the deal, who's no longer in the organization, who was a veteran big leaguer, that's the mm-hmm. package they got back. I don't know that the Padres would do the deal again. Maybe they would, but it, it almost seems like without that deal, they would be in a way worse spot right now. Uh I agree with you. I think the Nats would do it again. I think the Padres would do it again. I think they're very okay. happy that they have Soto. Um, you know, and they, they had some surplus. And I, can, I, I know the Padres, they, they liked the guys they gave up. But they could also tell you a little concern here, a little concern there. With each one of those prospects, it was, we have someone else there that we feel better about. And that's fine. That's why you have all these prospects, why you stockpile prospects so that you can make a trade like this. But the Nats, I, I actually feel like four out of the five, are, are on track, uh, um, are trending in the right direction. Hassel is the one exception. You know, Abrams needs to get stronger, but I see underlying things in what he's done in the big leagues this year that I say he's got a chance to be good. It's just it's a matter of getting muscle on this poor kid. You've seen a lot of the good of Gore. It's been inconsistent, but you've seen the, the upside there. Wood obviously getting to double A as quickly as he did is a great, great sign. Susanna is what he is. Well, I think we knew at the time of the traits that, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's up to 102 is he a starter, reliever? Who the heck knows? But you'll always take an arm like that as the fourth or fifth player in a deal. So I, I think the Nets did very well. I thought so at the time, and I still hold to that opinion. Keith, great to catch up with you, man. Have a great weekend. Yeah, my pleasure. You too. Appreciate Keith Law for joining Grant and Danny. Appreciate you guys for listening in. That's going to do it for Bustin' Loose Baseball, episode 67. Any final thoughts, Grant? Yeah, a couple of things. Uh, number one, I'm looking forward to getting back to Nats Park because I missed the end of their homestand uh, going into the break, going out to Seattle. It feels like it's been forever since I've been to Nationals Park. Uh, so I'm uh, itching to get back out and see them. I know you were recently at Wrigley where the boys are now. It's one of my favorite ballparks in America. I love everything about that ballpark. And uh, my favorite baseball experience ever as a fan was probably sitting at the rooftops uh, with all you can eat and all you can drink food and beverage uh, across the street from Wrigley. I hope they don't play one of my favorite songs in the ballpark, which is uh, Go Cubs Go uh, at all during this series. But, uh, yeah, it's a great time. 
So it should be a fun finish to the road trip here. Yeah, 100%. If you get a chance to go out to Wrigley, I mean, obviously you probably would have to plan for that if you're in the D.C. area, the DMV. But go out there sometime. It is fantastic. So enjoy watching the boys against the Cubs out at Wrigley. That's going to do it for Bustin' Loose Baseball Episode 67. Appreciate you guys listening in. Make sure you like, rate, subscribe, leave a comment. We'll read those on the podcast going forward. For Grant Paulson, I'm Toby Altizer saying thanks for listening. We'll talk to you later.